0: Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we talk to an artist or other creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Leslie Barker, Arts-Based Community Development Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with MAC's Folk and Traditional Arts Director, Maria Zarang. Along with Maria, we have two folk artists, quilter Janice Mitchell and tatter and jewelry maker Alan Kolodny. Janice and Alan are both part of the current exhibit, Mississippi Traditions, an exhibit celebrating featured artists of the Mississippi Folklife Directory. And I'm so excited to have all of you. So I'm going to start with Maria. Maria's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on with this exhibit.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us, Leslie. Well, you know, this project really it kind of has two parts and the foundation of that project is the Mississippi Folklife Directory website it's been relaunched, it has a new design, new updates, this was a website that has long been a part of MAC since 2003-2004, but we really needed to get it up to date with 2022 website technology, so when we did that, um, we added some new artists, and to kind of celebrate this kind of New life of the website, we wanted to create an, a series of exhibits that would travel around the public libraries to get people engaged with the material and in person, you know, because this is great that this website lives online. But, you know, after being kind of cooped up in the pandemic for the past three years, we wanted to get out there into the public. That way, you know, they can look on the website, you know, look up these artists, look at their photos, um, bios, but then also engage with the material in person, talk to the artists, be able to actually see their work in person. Um, So, you know, we just really, we wanted to bring it out there. And, you know, I'll take a pause here real quick to say kind of what the directory website is Mm. for people who don't know. But, you know, it's a listing of traditional artists and traditional practices in Mississippi. We look at a wide genre of topics, like, you know, we look at art, craft, we look at traditional music, Food ways or uh, food traditions, as some people call it, vernacular architecture, and then folk life events. So, that's mm-hmm. things like community festivals, ceremonies, rituals, you know, kind of things of that nature, customary things in mm-hmm. our life. And I think there's such a diversity of topics on here that anyone can find an interest in something. You know, we have 90 uh, something artists, we have six different art genres that you can search the website on and the six different regions of Mississippi. Um, So we're just really excited that, you know, this will be a project that I'll be working on for years to come. We can keep adding new artists, you know, keep updating the site. It'll be kind of a living kind of document online. And then, so I wanna talk about the exhibit and the exhibit features five artists. So we have two of those artists here today. The five artists, of course, are. Alan Kolodny, a tatter and jewelry maker. Uh, Janice Mitchell, who's also here today, she's a quilter. Vishenoy is a sitar player. He plays Indian classical music on the sitar and on the harmonica. Paul Gore, he does hand lettered uh, signs. So he's a sign painter and a muralist. And Shardae Thomas, who's a fife player and she leads the rising star fife and drum band. That her grandfather, Otha Turner, started in the 1960s, and we're going to hear some of her music today. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about the things that we're doing in person. Uh, so if you're in the Sardis area, you know, Oxford, Batesville, Como in um, northern Mississippi, come out and see us this month in June. Just yesterday at the time of this recording, so On June 2nd, I went and uh, installed the exhibit at the Sardis Public Library, which is located at 101 East McLaurin Street in Sardis. Um, It'll be there for the whole month of June. um, So you'll be able to see some pictures and a short bio of the artist. And then uh, on two Fridays in June, we're gonna be doing some public programs. So we'll have an artist demonstration day. um, That's on Friday, June 17th from 2 to 3.30. And Janice will be joining us, so is Alan and Paul Gore. So they'll be there kind of demonstrating their work. And then the next Friday, June 24th at 3 p.m. at the Public Library, we're gonna have a Fife and Drum performance from Charday Thomas and her band, Rising Star Fife and Drum. Um, and I just wanna take a moment to thank the public library system uh, in Mississippi. They have just been so wonderful. Such great partners and supporters of this event. We just, our first stop was in Clinton, and we were at the Quisenberry Library for the month of May. Uh, and we had two great programs with, you know, Alan, Janice, Paul, and Vish. Um, Vish did a concert the weekend after Alan, Janice, and Paul did a demonstration day. Uh, so we're hoping to. You know, possibly bring this to more libraries, and um, we're just really excited to just be out there. This is kind of my first time venturing out into the public, so um, I think that's it for me. You know, I don't want to take up too much time because I I'd love to kind of get into Alan and Janice's story. So why don't we uh, go from there?
0: Yeah, let's jump. Let's jump right in. And I, you know, I I've, I just want to say I've seen this exhibit. It's awesome. We love it. Uh, if if you get a chance to go see it please do. And Maria, I'm going to let you take it away with talking to to Janice Mitchell.
1: All right. um, Janice, um, let's get started with you. Janice is a quilter from Clarksdale. And um, Janice, why don't you start by telling us, why don't you start by telling us kind of what you do uh, in quilting and how, how did you get into quilting? You have a really interesting story of what kind of sparked that interest.
2: Sure. Um, first, thank you. <laughs> this is so much fun. Um, it's. I started quilting about twenty-five years ago, and it sprouted out from. I was always creative as a kid, you know, from mud pies to finger painting to uh, being introduced to home economics in junior high school. And I had a love for fabric, but absolutely no talent for making clothes. And I (laughs) took home ec for three years in a row. Well, what I ended up doing was trying many crafts that had something to do with fabric. And over the years, I tinkered with all kinds of things like uh, making boxes with cardboard and covering with fabric. I would mend clothes and put little patches on them just to kind of use my favorite favorite fabrics. But then life happened and I moved about and I ended up here in Mississippi with um, my roots, my family is from here. Well, I started college and there really wasn't too much in the area of arts that I wanted to do, but I was living in an area that was thriving with all kinds of artists everywhere. And I was excited. I thought, well, hey, I want to do some of this. And the more I talked to people, I found out they were just naturally gifted at this you know, they could sit down and talk with me and maybe draw a picture or, or, you know, someone in their family had painted. And all the women made me incredibly jealous because they made their clothes. They did curtains and things. Well, I was doing private duty and I was sitting with a client of mine that lived in the rural areas and I was feeling kind of low one day and I just prayed and asked the Lord to give me something so I could feel worthy and I was making beaded jewelry at the time and that was a mess the beads were rolling out everywhere and I couldn't keep track of anything and I'll tell you without getting too preachy God is so awesome because he answered that prayer so instantly I got off work I stopped at Walmart and I saw some fabric. I grabbed this fabric and I thought, Lord, what could I do with it? I stared at my kitchen floor, at the tiles, and I thought, hmm, I bet you I could make something if I just mimic the squares that I saw. So I cut out my squares. And I thought, oh, this is fun. So I went back to work because now I'm still doing private duty. And I get off work and we had a store that was called Walls. And Walls took in a lot of products from stores that had received damage, maybe fire, flood storms of that nature. Way back in the back of the store, there's this shopping cart and I'm one for a bargain something. Ooh, what's in that basket? It is loaded with quilt books. All the way to the top. And I I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I would buy as many as I could afford and I would take them and look at the pictures of the quilts. Now, mind you, it has the pictures of the quilts, it has the directions, the measurements, everything I needed. But I just wasn't interested in that. I just wanted to look at the pretty pictures and make those quilts. It took me a year. A long, precious year of my life to figure out how to <laughs> take the top that I made and get the mm-hmm. cotton and the backing all together because I refused <laughs> to read <laughs> the directions. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't have time for that. So when I finally <laughs> figured it out, I was like, oh, shucks, I'm on to something now. And I promise you, the moment that I transitioned from private duty to just um working retail and other part-time jobs every waking moment i quilted i if i wasn't cutting fabric i was sewing it by hand because i started by hand i couldn't you know transport my machine everywhere so i started with little two inch squares and i would just hand sew them i could tuck them in my purse or my pocket you know just It didn't take up much space. And then when I got my machine, you couldn't tell me anything. I was sewing two-inch squares, big old blocks, strips. It didn't really have a pattern, but it didn't matter. And then I discovered stars and how to start to sew a traditional star. And they have so many different names. uh, Ohio star, eight-point star. Uh, northern star but it was just basically a regular square with a triangle and from there I just started manipulating the sizes by cutting up a sheet to use as practice so that I wouldn't waste you know my fabric because I'm frugal I didn't want to waste anything and then I discovered ooh, I could make it out of a sheet um there's such a history here of quilt making that people don't really grasp until you really sit down and talk to them about it. To this day, I hear people say, oh, my grandmother used to quilt, my aunts quilted, and they tell me about the frames that they would extend from the rafters of the house, and Mm. quilt beads, where all the ladies would come on Sundays and quilt together. the stuffing was different, you know, not everyone could afford batting, which is the inside the cotton. So they literally used scrap cotton on the side of the road from the fields Mm -hmm. where they harvest cotton. And that's what really got my interest. And I wanted to continue that. It's also heavily in me to quilt because it's the first form Of self freedom. I struggle with depression and anxiety, and I didn't know it was social anxiety until I went for therapy. And it took a lot of years to figure out, you know, how to get some kind of control, some routine in my life, some self acceptance, uh, some confidence, and to just be me in my own skin. And There's moments that I remember working on quilts in my home and company would come over and children and adults both like quilting, but children are so visceral with their reactions. They're just, oh, pretty. I like the colors. And it just lit me up. And I thought, I've got to keep doing this, whereas adults are a little bit more reserved in their reaction because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, and then sometimes they do, but they don't know that they are. It's like, <laughs> oh, I don't like the bright colors. Or it, it's just, I could go on and on forever. I tell you, I'm so engrossed in what I do when the delivery men come to my house. Like if I order something from FedEx or UPS, I'm like, do you have five minutes? And they're like, <laughs> well, no. But, and I'll tell them <laughs> something real quick. Our maintenance men that come and do repairs, I have taught them how to sew their first blocks. Because if, if I can get you, it's just, everything starts with just two squares. You just mm-hmm. sew two squares together. And I don't tell them about the second set of two squares. The surprise is when they join it for themselves, I tell them, now open it up and it's priceless you get the same reaction like I'm like yeah you did that (laughs) so I just love sharing quilting and quilting 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 it's just awesome and then living here in the delta seeing the fields of cotton I don't know what anybody else thinks but I'm thinking oh boy
0: that's new fabric (laughs) (laughs) well I tell you what I wish I was your delivery person because I would love to come learn to quilt oh absolutely
2: and look I can travel I can travel to show you (laughs) it's so
0: fun this is Leslie Barker thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour the show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 to access all of our past shows subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Max Folk and traditional arts director Maria Zarang, and two Mississippi folk artists, Janice Mitchell and Alan Kolodny. Well, we were just talking with Janice, so I'm going to turn it back over to Maria to, to keep asking Janice some questions.
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, when I went to Janice's house in preparation for the exhibit, she taught me a little bit about quilting and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and you can tell when you go in your home, when her when you go in her home, you just know immediately this is the home of a quilter. Mm. She's designed her whole place to like facilitate her craft. It's really cool. Oh wow. um, but you know, Janice, I want to fast forward a little bit to the pandemic. You mm-hmm. uh you talked a little bit about. Uh, quilting with scrap fabric and that being, you know, that's important to you. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about your projects over the pandemic? You made masks and then you also made quilts from the scraps of that fabric that you used to make masks. And I just think you have a great story there that I wanted to share with our listeners. It's
2: kind of weird. It, it was difficult, but what I did was I had fabrics on hand that I had earmarked for certain projects. Watching the news was so upsetting. The first line of defense is for me to turn it off and to focus on the positive. Uh, With everyone under lockdown, the initial lockdown, it was an intentional choice I had to make. Sit here and worry, you know, watch the news minute by minute and just, exacerbate the problem, or do something. And I love YouTube, I went to YouTube, and it was just all these people talking about, you know, the medical wear and gear and mask and what we could do. And I started to see a lot of people just like myself, just regular women, homemakers, that were pulling out their machines, and starting to make masks. I had no idea how to do that. It took me back to making clothes. You know, can I do this? And so many generous people were offering patterns. Look, let's do this together. Let's try something. We got to help people. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I can help. It starts with just an idea. It starts with one person. So I would uh, watch the news just a little bit. And God is so awesome. I turned on the local news and they had a spotlight of an artist over in Greenwood. And I was trying to listen to what she was saying, but the camera was showing her in her studio. And I was like, wow, it was full of bright colors and it was all pretty. And I I tuned in and she was saying how she was making masks and she was offering her mask pattern for free and to follow her on Facebook, and I did so. Started making masks. I started giving them out to my neighbors, uh, finding out who needed them. I started making masks in bulk. Now there was a small time when it died down a little bit. I sold some, but for the most part, it was match for match. If I sold one, I gave one away, and the projects that I had, because some of the shipping was restricted, because I was ordering out of New York and overseas. What I did was I thought, hey, use what you have. And looking on the floor at all the scraps for my mask making, it was just all these pieces laying there. And it kind of resembled something that was broken or shattered. And that's when I got the idea, hey, just sew all this scrap together. And cut from it your patterns so it's like a disciplined freedom um it was chaos. I sewed it together and it's all held together just like we are threaded together to help one another. So out of this, the only thing that I did was I separated the colors and from those colors, I ended up with a rainbow. And this is where I am today, making a rainbow, which is truly a symbol of hope and renewal and positive things and some sunshine in these dark times. And to get people's interest. And it even opened up a wider arena for me to show people not only how to quilt traditionally, but quilt freely. We don't have to be encumbered by numbers and measurements. Do what your heart tells you to do. It's okay. Creativity, there is no wrong. It's you expressing yourself. And I just am happy to share it with anyone interested. And that's my take on something positive out of the pandemic. We can cry together. We can carry one another's burdens and we can all look forward to a hopeful future.
1: Wow. Thank you, Janice. I love that story. It's just really so positive, you know, creating those rainbow quilts, you know, out of the dark times of the pandemic. I just think it, it really is meaningful. And, um, you know, people can look at those quilts online at the Mississippi Folklife Directory website. We have some beautiful photographs of those taken by Mississippi photographer, Rory Doyle. Um, well, I guess we can switch over to Alan and spend some time with Alan. Kind of wish we had a whole hour for everyone. Huh? I know, I know. It always
0: goes by too so fast. Um, <laughs> Thank you
1: so much. Yeah, thanks, Janice. And we'll come back, you know, and we'll have Alan and Janice together. But um, Alan... Why don't you tell us about your art form as a tatter? you know, tell the audience what is tatting and kind of how you got into it.
3: Well, I guess to start where how I got into it is that uh, when I was a little kid, uh, my grandmother tried teaching my mother how to crochet. What did not work whatsoever. She had no talent for it. So (laughs) she decided she had to teach somebody. So I'm the one that got taught. And it turned (laughs) out to be good because when I went off to college and stuff, I actually sold angels and snowflakes, you know, to help pay for the bills. But I've always had very high creativity needs. I mean, I have to be making something. And now with my health issues, and you won't go into that because we'll need a whole hour for that. um, I'm basically in the wheelchair lot or just sitting. And uh, so while I'm sitting, I'm redeeming the time by making something creative. And uh, I had a friend She knew that I loved making things. I had gone through a period where I was making and selling gingerbread houses One Christmas. Uh, I make candy making. I've done most crafts out there at some point or another. And uh, she just said, you know, Alan, I really want to learn how to tat. I got a book. can't figure it out. You can do anything. How about you learn and then teach me? Well, I didn't know nothing about tatting, but it looked interesting, and I was willing to give it a shot. And uh, it turned out I ended up learning, teaching her. And uh, pretty much after that, anytime she needed something, she gave me a call. Mm-hmm. She has a dollhouse. That so her, was her, her dad made, when she was a little girl, that she adds to it every year. And she's, I don't know her exact age, but she's older. And uh, it now has uh, chandeliers and, and, and uh, wallpaper and everything. And some very tiny little tatted runners for the tables and little tiny doilies for the little end tables. But basically what tatting is, it's just a fiber art that goes back hundreds of years. It's considered true lace. And the reason I say that is because people look at it all the time and say, that looks like crochet. Well, crochet is not considered true lace because crochet has a different background. Tatting goes back to when the sailors on the ships, the stories say, you know, they would make creative knotted projects and take it home to their sweethearts <laughs> and you know they thought they were really great well the sweethearts looked at it especially since there wasn't much money and everything they thought you know we can do that but we can do that in thread and that's how lace making was created and there's a lot <laughs> of variations in lace but in true lace um tatting is one of the few that is just hundreds and hundreds of tiny little knots <laughs> Uh, fortunately, I may be blind as a bat at a distance and need glasses, but up close, I take them off and I can see fine, which is a blessing because these are tiny, tiny little knots. Um, everybody asks me how long does it take to make this, and I tell them very clearly, I don't know. The only time I've ever figured it out is for the Mystery Arts Commission when they want exact numbers. Because the last time, there was one bookmark that I loved, beautiful flowers, all different colors. I made the mistake of counting how many knots went into it and it was over 900. Mm, Wow. And every time I pick up the pattern to do that again, I can't do it. (laughs) I (laughs) know uh, how many (laughs) knots it is. Yeah. (laughs) So now I just do it and enjoy it. And when it's done, I look at it and say, wow, I made something beautiful. Yeah. Um, You know, like, like Janice, I struggle also with depression at times and, um, Just the idea of having something that I made, something amazing like that, it it draws me out of it. You know, it takes me out of wherever I was, the dumps, because, like, how can you be depressed when you just created something so beautiful? And uh, I've taught classes. I've taught people how to do it. There's not a lot of people in Mississippi. There are some, but there's not a lot to test. Matter of fact, a lot of people don't even know what it is because it's an older art. Back in the 40s and 50s, it was very popular because women were at home most of the time. And they had time to do these kind of crafts. Nowadays, everybody's out in the workforce. You know, you have to to make a living nowadays. The things are harder. So there's not as many people doing it. You see more of it in other countries, like in Eastern Europe and stuff, where people are home more and they have more time for it. And uh, some of my favorite artists that do tatting are in these countries.
1: Well, I just wanted to ask, how do you communicate with uh, some of these artists out, out of the U.S.? On Facebook groups or you know online?
3: Uh Facebook and through, you know, Facebook and email groups. You know, I mean, and we used to have, well, now, now we don't, it's better than it used to be. We used to just have blogs that we would share back and forth through, you know, an email. But now that it's Facebook, it makes it much easier we're able to send larger pictures and share more details people share patterns ideas information you know we compare threads that are di- different people that are using and I've, I've been in contact with people everywhere from indonesia to poland you know and onward working with this, these types of materials
1: is that where you find a lot of your inspiration for some of the patterns that you Create? Yeah, because, you know, in different traditions of
3: different countries, they have different history with it. And everybody has their own way of doing things. There's one guy right now that uh, actually makes pieces that look like pieces of art. Rather than traditional padding, which is these squares or circles or maybe crosses, which is one of my favorite things. And I've just acquired a set of patterns from someone. I think she's in the Netherlands and she designed mystical creatures you know, which I can't wait to try. You know, I, I mean, I, I know one little girl at church, I pastor at church that was looking forward to the day that I do her a unicorn, you mm-hmm. know, out of tatty. Yeah. You know, and oh, my wife is raising her hand. She wants one too. Uh, I think she <laughs> wants a dragon though more than she wants a unicorn. <laughs> yeah,
1: I love you dragons. Yeah. Um, awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I love doing
3: the dragons. I have several people that are like, uh, I do for Christmas gifts and they're like, could we have a dragon? we all want a dragon all three <laughs> kids and the grown-ups each one of their own dragon <laughs> and then one of them called and said somebody took my dragon we're real really
0: upset so i made him another <laughs> this is leslie barker thanks for listening to the podcast version of the mississippi arts hour the show airs on NPB think radio every sunday afternoon at five To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor, from fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker from the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with the two mississippi folk artists and our folk life director maria zarang so maria we were talking with alan kolodny right before the break so keep us keep us going let us learn a little more about this tatting
1: yeah i wanted to ask alan to talk about his work with wire he tats with both wire and thread and um his wire work is very unique so alan why don't you talk to us about that
3: well i'm a member of mississippi craftsman's guild as well And uh, we were doing uh, our Chimneyville craft show one year. And I just had the thread tatting at the time. I was pretty new to tatting. And uh, one of the dear ladies there, I kind of consider her my mentor. She uh, came up to me. She worked in wire doing jewelry and stuff. And she came up to me and she said, you know, I know people can crochet in wire. And I've seen other things in wire. You know, if anybody could do this, you can figure it out how to do tatting in wire. And she just gave me a piece of wire and said, here, Use this to get started, and I expect to see something by next year. (laughs) Well, the kind of person you know, you kind of gave me a challenge. So I sat down after the show and right after Christmas, and I figured I had to do it. And I've had people uh, call me from all over the world. Well, I should say email me from all over the world, wanting to do how I how I do it without tearing up your fingers. And my wife made me promise not to tell anyone until I write a book. Now, I don't know when that's going to happen, hopefully, but uh, right now I just enjoy doing it. I I tat uh, mainly jewelry with it because it's really hard to do a large piece in wire. Because one of the things with thread, if you make a mistake, you, you cut it out, you can undo the knot, you start again. You make a mistake in wire, you start from the beginning because wire is not forgiving. It's very, very fine wire, and there's just no forgiveness in it and once i started working with wire and the tatting uh i ended up moving on to making other types of jewelry because i love taking old techniques and uh we bringing them back like one of my favorite things to do i incorporate is a chain called viking knit which is, is goes back to the time of the vikings they used to wear it chains of it around their neck and it's a technique that if you cut the end of it it doesn't unravel so if they had to buy something that's at the market they just cut a little piece off and paid for it that way. And it's still flexible and it's beautiful. And, you know, it's one of those things. And yes, there is a technical name for it in Norse, but I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful stuff. And I just like taking unique things and making beautiful things.
1: Yeah, you so. know, that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, when I tell people about your work, they're always fascinated about the wire um, that you use. And what has been the reaction to the tanning community of your work in wire?
3: Well, I've been invited to uh, teach classes several parts, several places in the country. Unfortunately, I can't travel because of my health. But uh, it's been hard to turn them down because you know there's nobody else that's doing it. And um, again, I get the reaction. I get people ask me all the time, "How do I do it?" you know, and I, I try to keep my mouth shut, not to sp- spill the beans, so to speak, because I had to come with a, a little bit different a t- different technique, but it's kind of hard for me to do that. As you can tell, I love talking. I'm a <clears throat> preacher and, you know, talking is not a problem. Keeping quiet sometimes is a problem. Uh, my <laughs> wife says, you know, everything in our lives is a sermon illustration. <laughs> so, uh, you know, i um, I have a lot of people, you know, and they're amazed that I can do it in wire. You know, as my wife says, you know, I'm the only one she can think of that could take something that's very difficult and make it even harder by doing it in wire. <laughs> you know, and everybody looks at the thread and they say, well, my my grandmother did this, or my grand-aunt did this, or we have some of that in the family. But when they look at the wire, it's like, wow. And it still feels like a fabric. And it yeah. just amazes them.
1: Yeah, it's really a fascinating work. And... We had another Mississippi photographer, Ron Blaylock, photograph Alan's work in both thread and wire. And you can see that on the directory too, if you're interested. Um, We only have a few more minutes. And so what I want to do is ask a question of, you know, both you, Alan and Janice, kind of come together at the end. It's been really interesting doing this work with uh, the five of you and kind of seeing y'all come together um, just as, you know, Y'all are artists and kind of connect to each other in that way as creatives. So what has been um, your reactions to each other's work, uh, Alan and Janice?
2: Well, when I saw Alan's work, I initially just wanted to go over and say hi, take a peek. And when I saw the first pieces, I was just astounded. It was beautiful, you know, to just see the intricate detail. But then he blew my mind because he was sitting holding a piece of the wire. And I thought, no way. And I looked closer. His wire, well, the silver rather, was the thickness of my quilting thread. Mm -hmm. And to manipulate it to get it to, Form what he's what he sees in his mind was just incredible to me. But then it's like when I meet other creatives, it's like a kindred spirit. I felt connected to him. I'm thinking here's somebody else that sees something in their mind and they bring it into their reality by fashioning it with their hands. This when he says he sits, it's the hours that you dedicate to what you do out of just the sheer joy of it. And Alan, I totally get what you mean. Once you create something beautiful, it is that medication that we need to get us out of depression. For me, it's the reaction that I get from others because I'm making something that's fun and to see him make something, it's not a comparison, but it is an appreciation of, oh my God, did you see his work? (laughs) It was remarkable. And it's um, a tree of life he had that just, oh, it was just so amazing to see this is something that God has gifted him to do to bring joy to other people. And it's just something
1: that we do. And I think
2: his work is amazing.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Janice. Alan, let's hear from you. Well, I I love what Janice says. When you see
3: another artist, you know, I mean, I go to craft shows sometimes and I love looking what other people are making because you can see the dedication they have to it. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. talking about when people, you know, some craft shows where people are throwing things together, you know, from the Dollar Tree. I'm talking about craftsmen that are putting the time and the effort into it and that, you know, you know, they love what they're doing and you can't help but feel like it's a kindred spirit. And Janice's work amazes me. You know, I didn't know much about quilting until I got married. And then when I got married 31 years ago, my wife hasn't quilts that have been in her family over 100, 150 years. Actually, I'm not allowed to touch them for that reason. But she it. <laughs> But They're beautiful. I mean, they're you know they're her from tradition that tells a story about her great grandmother or a great great aunt or somebody in the family. And to see that being brought today and carried on, you know, seeing Janice's work, you know, it's just amazing to think that what she makes now, down the road, maybe passed on to somebody's great grandchild. Right. You know, I mean, that's what I think about my stuff is that I like to think I'm making air- future heirlooms. You know, people always say, Alan, you can sell more stuff if you make it, you know, make what's gaudy or what's trendy. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I want to make something I love doing. And, and yeah. we also have a deal, my my wife and I have a deal about my stuff. I'm allowed to give away a certain amount of it. And, you know, when I, God puts it in my heart to give somebody something, as long as I keep making the other stuff to sell, we've got to pay bills. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, I just love, if it was up to me, I'd give it all away. You know, I just see love people looking at people's faces and how they react to it and how much it means to them.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. just... And I just from my point of view, it's inspiring just working with y'all. Every time I leave one of our events, I'm like, I got to break out my sewing machine. got <laughs> <laughs> I get going.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of seeing their work, Maria, tell us one more time how they can see this work.
1: Yeah, well, you can visit the Mississippi Folk Life Directory website. That's msfolkdirectory.org, msfolkdirectory.org or you can come see us in person. Come check us out at the Sardis Public Library. Let me get out the address here. And that's at 101 East McLaurin Street in Sardis. We'll be there the whole month of June and we're gonna do the public programs on Friday, June 17th from two to three. And that's with Alan and Janice and Paul Gore, that artist demo day. And then the next Friday, June 24th at 3 p.m. We're going to have a Fife and Drum performance by Short a. Thomas and her band, The Rising Star Fife and Drum. So please come see us if you're in that area. Uh, we'd love to see you out there.
0: Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.